We have a very important part of Sundays coming up that I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to miss. The opening jokes, because I know you know you, your weeks won't be complete without. Particularly proud of the opening one, actually, I have to say. Come on. Don't hide in the kitchen so that you don't hear the jokes. And, and I, I know, I know my wife, she's trying to hide from my jokes. Right, I'm not waiting, I'm going to start. I'm just, you know, my jokes are too, imp- my jokes are too important. A man goes to see the doctor with a piece of lettuce growing out of his ear. He turns to the doctor and says, Doctor, doctor, is it serious? The doctor looks at him and says, Well, I'm really sorry to tell you, but it is the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) See, I'm proud of that one. I quite particularly like that one. A penguin walks into the shop and he says to the assistant, Do you have any grapes? The assistant replies, No. Another day goes by, the penguin walks into the shop. He says, do you have any grapes? The assistant says, no. The third day, the penguin walks into the shop. He says to the assistant, do you have any grapes? The assistant says, no. And if you come in tomorrow and ask me once more whether we've got any grapes, I'm going to nail your flippers to the floor. Next day goes by, the penguin comes in. He says, do you have any nails? (laughs) The assistant says no. He says, do you have any grapes? (laughs) Thank you. Tip of the the iceberg was better, but it's all right, you know. Well, so uh, I think as Liz said a couple of weeks ago, what we're doing at the moment is when I'm speaking, I'm trying to follow a series looking at a dead easy book nothing that causes any questions or consternations, revelation. And then Liz is speaking out of her experience and her heart about who we are as a people and what we should be like to be formed and shaped by God and asking us some questions that um, I think are a little bit too cutting on occasion, which has been really good. And the last time I preached on this amazing but fairly mind-bending book of Revelation, um, I asked you to look and think, Revelation describes itself as prophecy. Prophecy comes to comfort, encourage, and build up. If you read Revelation and you are not comforted, encouraged, and built up, you're not reading it right. Because it says it's prophecy. We use scripture to interpret scripture. Prophecy, we're we're told, is given to the church to encourage, build up, and comfort. So it's prophecy. So it should encourage, build up. And far from being the depressing and miserable book that some people have made it, actually Revelation is a book of victory. Do you remember we looked through and we looked at some passages and I asked you to say, what is the theme between these passages? And the passage and the themes were victory. Jesus has won, is winning and will win. Evil has been defeated, is being defeated and will be defeated. That's the ongoing work of God that has already been complete and will carry on being completed. 
and I'm deliberately mixing up some tenses because of what I want us to look at this morning. If you missed that or you think, what on earth is he going on about? And you need to listen to it again. It is on our podcast. It is on, you can connect to the podcast through the website and you can have a listen. And with all these revelation sermons, I mean, I guess really, you know, every time I preach, I give you what I think the Lord has given to me. And he gives that by speaking to me. He gives it to me because I spend a fair bit of time reading and trying to study and work out what is this word about. And then asking what does that mean to me so I can give it to you. Well, no. So he can feed me and I can feed you from my fedness, if you like. That's how we try and do it. So I want to carry on trying not to get, because that's one of the themes I said. I don't want to get too drawn in to the exact imagery that is so rich and deep throughout Revelation. I'm trying not to focus too much on, I don't know, you know, what do the four horsemen of the apocalypse's colour of their hooves mean? Because it seems to me that a lot of people have got into that sort of level of detail and you end up not seeing the wood for the trees and you don't see the point of the passage because people get drawn into, what do the 24 elders mean or what colour scarves were they wearing? Of course, I want you to know there are 24 elders, and I think there is significance in it. But if all you ever do is look for that level of detail and not step back, you're missing the point. I did say, um, as I started preaching on this a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago now, actually, that actually I was quite nervous. You know, I want us to be a family that are able to ask questions of each other, that won't necessarily disagree about absolutely everything. I want us to be a place where we're able to be provoked by the Spirit of God. But I'm aware that for some people, revelation causes lots of questions. And people do get a little bit hung up. I've seen people start to argue with each other over the revelation. So I sort of said, I am a little bit nervous about opening this up. And I, what I don't want to cause is lots of people starting to say, oh, how can they possibly think that or believe that? I want to provoke us, but I don't want us to make us fall out. So I said I'm a little bit nervous about preaching on this series because there are some really big ideas and some really big themes in Revelation that will stretch us and that we might not necessarily agree on. And that's okay. We're united by our love of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not, we're called to live in unity. That doesn't mean living in uniformity. We're drawn together by the power of the Spirit. So I thought this week, again, we'd sort of look at something really quite simple, not at all complicated, nothing that's going to rile us up too much, uh, because this time we'd look at the concept of time. So that, that, that's not too big, is it? You know, time, that's fairly straightforward for us all to get our minds around, isn't it? Yeah, dead easy. It's all relative. Thank you, Rob. Yes. I'll do the jokes. You do the worship. You did, it, did the worship really well. Thank you very much. The jokes? Mm, mine are better. Um, well, I think so. And I've got the mic, so what do you expect? Anyway. Time. <laughs> Indeed. Time's a very odd thing, isn't it? I mean, just our own personal experience of time is an odd thing. How many of you have said, but it seems like yesterday that my 23-year-old married son was this big how can that be 23 years i wonder how many of you do what i do you know because in my mind to all intents and purposes i'm about 25 that, that's what i think i'm about 25 and then i use you know i go into the bathroom and look up in the mirror and think who the hell's that old guy 
looking back at me. Because that's not me, I'm 25. Although this week when I did a whole load of laminating and a whole load of laying carpet, I have to say I became painfully aware that I'm not 25. <laughs> As I got out of bed the next morning, I thought, oh, I'll be back. Oh, my knees. But it does look really good. Sometimes we say time flies and sometimes we say it drags. Possibly during a sermon, but not during one of mine, of course. <laughs> now, if anybody, if you get to know me even a little bit, you will learn pretty quickly that I am very proud of the fact that I'm a geek. It's, it's geek chic is meant to be in, or at least it was five years ago, and I'm still going to claim it for now. Geekness is in, and as a result of my geekness, I am into all sorts of science fiction. All sorts of different things, you know. So how many of you have seen those films or the TV series, you know, where the question or the type of question that is posed is, you know, if I go back in time and kill my own grandparents, am I still born? Why you'd want to do that, I don't know. But those sort of weird and wonderful things, isn't it? Time is this idea that sort of we, we're fascinated by and we're partly fascinated by it because actually it's outside our control. There's nothing you can do to influence the fact that you're getting older. It is part of the created order. And yet time for us can seem mind-blowing. How can it be that that happened so long ago when it feels like yesterday? So I thought what we'll do is we'll consult an expert <laughs> who will make things really, really clear about time and it'll get a really great concept in our mind of what time is. So we're going to consult an expert on time. Listen up. I'm a time traveller. Or I was. I'm stuck. In 1969. Where's stuck? What a space time becomes made now. I've got a job in a shop. I've got to spot him. Uh -huh. Sorry. I've seen this bit before. Quite possibly. 1969. That's where you're talking from. Afraid so. But you're replying to me. You can't know exactly what I'm going to say 40 years before I say it. 38. All I can say is, don't blink. Don't close your eyes. And whatever you do, don't blink. Dun, dun, dun! One of my favourite episodes of Doctor Who, which is called Blink. And he says that a few times. Don't blink. Don't look away. Whatever you do, don't blink. Because whenever you blink, the monsters come nearer. Dun, dun. Anyway, 
I just thought we'd see that little bit because I love that bit. You know, he's a time lord and I'm speaking to you from 1969. And you think of time in this sort of linear, this happens and this happens and this happens. But actually, it's a bit more like a timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly sort of thing. <laughs> time is complicated. Especially if we try and think about God and time. Because he is not subject to it or bound to it in the way that we are. So I want you to do, I know, let's look at a little piece of scripture. Genesis 1.14 says this. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. The sun and the moon, although, listen very carefully, that passage never actually says the sun and the moon. It says the greater light and the lesser light. That's a separate sermon that I could do half an hour on at the very least. But this, this big light and little light, the sun and the moon, are, you, are created for what? To mark the seasons for us. So that we can say time is passing. But God creates them at a point in eternity that we then live from, but he doesn't. He makes the sun and the moon. They are subject to him. He doesn't need them to mark days and times and seasons. God is involved in creation, but he's not subject to it. Yes? Everybody with me? Good. Okay. Let's do a little bit of um, trans-dimensional engineering and teaching. Are you ready? I've got, this, I've got a really complicated set of tools to teach you a little bit about trans-dimensional engineering. Um, it involves a piece of paper and some coloured pens. So I'd like you in groups of two or three, and I'm going to give you a complicated task. Are you ready for it? To help you understand... Transdimensional engineering and time. Look at Viv's face. She's like, you're completely off your tree, Stuart. <laughs> so gather up as a group, sort of three or four of you together. You're going to need a piece of paper and a pen. I will even give you a nice, a nice felt-tip pen. Okay, you ready? So, piece of paper and a pen. Uh, last piece of paper, there you go, and a pen. So are you ready for your trans-dimensional engineering? I would like you to take your, your writing implement, otherwise known as a pen, and put a dot in the middle of the piece of paper. Well, oh, sorry. Okay, are you ready? I want you to put a dot in the middle of that piece of paper. And then, I want you to look at it. Okay? Still there. Can you see the beginning and the end of that dot? Can you see how big it is? Can you see how big it is relative to the piece of paper? Can you watch it move around if you try to move it with a piece of paper? Can you? Yes? So you can see all about that dot. Do you know when the dot was created? Do you know when the dot will end? 
Could you make the dot end? Yes. Okay? He could, actually. He could burn it. Anyway. How come you have so much information and control over that dot? We created it. And it is two-dimensional. You are three-dimensional. So you can sit above it. And you can look at it. And you can see all of it. You can see where it begins and where it ends, can't you? Yes? Because you are three-dimensional and the piece of paper is two-dimensional. Everybody with me? Can you see all of that bit of paper? Yeah. Because you're not level with the piece of paper, are you? You're not living in two dimensions. You're not crushed down to the level of that piece of paper. Yeah? Because you're not flat. There's a Doctor Who episode about that as well, which I could have shown you. But it's a Peter Capaldi, and it's good, but it's not as good as, as David Tennant. Okay. You are a dimension above that piece of paper, aren't you? Okay? God is above time. He is not bound by it, nor is he subject to it. He can see all of it laid out before him. Just like you can see that dot. Yes? If you start to say that God is bound by time, you are making him subject to the creation, and he's the creator. doesn't work that way. Technically, that would be getting into what's called pantheism, bringing God down to the level of other things. God is outside time. He creates it, and he gives us ways to at least mark it. Everybody with me? Yeah. Okay. It's all right, don't worry. That's why I ask questions. Can you see everything to do with that piece of paper? Yes, because you are a level above it. Yes? God is a level above time. He creates time. So can he see all of it? Yes. Just in the same way that you can see all that piece of paper. Make sense? Okay, come back and ask me questions afterwards. Like all examples and metaphors, it has its limits. I can't make it work completely for you. But it starts to get you to understand that God is bigger than time. Yes? And the way that he looks at time is not the same as the way that we do. We think nice and linear. This happened, then that happened, then that happened. As the doctor said, time can be a bit more wibbly-wobbly than that. I've already said to you that I don't look at Revelation as a film strip. You don't sit down, start at the beginning, finish at the end, and read it as if this follows this, follows this, follows this, follows this. It's not a film to be watched. It was a lived experience that John was drawn into and were told... He is told, look this way, come up here and see this. I know frequently in modern translations of the Revelation, it says after. But the word that's used there, meta, is normally translated with. In the rest of scripture, it's usually with. So you could say, with this, I saw that. With this, I saw that. 
rather than after. And even if it is after, it's after in John's experience of it. But God is outside time. I told you I was going to work you fairly hard and that's why you need some cake. So if at any point you need to run up and get more calories, just go and get some and we'll keep on working. Revelation, for me, is not a film strip that you watch. It's something you need to step inside and be aware that all sorts of things are going on at all sorts of different points around you. Remember the very first week I preached and I put the picture up and got you to look at it and got you to listen to music and said, it's more like this. It's an experience, something that John goes through, which he then writes down. But I told you that Revelation is prophecy. And prophecy, as far as I've always been taught, taught and trained, is both foretelling, predicting what is going to happen, and forthtelling, explaining what's going on at a certain circumstance. So even if we look at some of the great Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they all have future relevance, but they all meant something at the time they were spoken. And revelation is prophecy. So it is foretelling and forthtelling, predicting and explaining. Everybody still with me? I can see lots of slightly bemused looks. If you're with me, smile at me and nod. Good. That's me and Steve then. We're all together. We're fine. (laughs) I'm proud of it. <laughs> you see, if you try and read Revelation as a series of events that follow on one after another, like a film strip, you're going to have some challenges. Now, I said I don't want to cause too many, I guess, ructions between <laughs> us, so I thought I'd pick a bit of Revelation, which is a fairly controversial book. And we'd pick a non-controversial chapter, chapter 20, which is just about the most controversial chapter in Revelation. If you don't know it, don't worry, we're going to look at it in a little bit. But in summary, it is the chapter that starts to talk about people reigning with Christ for a thousand years and then the devil, possibly, being thrown into the lake of fire. Yes? We'll look at it in a bit, but it's a chapter that people often know because it talks about the thousand-year reign of, well, people often say the saints, but actually it doesn't say that. It says the martyrs. So applying it to everybody is a bit of a challenge because it's for the martyrs. We'll look at it in a minute, as I say. And it finishes with the devil and the beast being thrown into the lake of sulphur. You'll look at it in a minute, but that's a summary of the story, yeah? That's chapter 20. Okay, so let's look at chapter 19, the one before. Revelation 19 verse 20 says this, And the beast was captured, captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. Hang on. He's been thrown into the lake of fiery sulphur. And in chapter 20, he's thrown into the lake of fiery sulphur. 
but the chapter before is chapter 19 and he's been thrown into the lake of fire. Do you see the challenge? Because if you read it and say chapter 19 happened before chapter 20, how can chapter 20 happen? Because it's already happened. Time is a bit wibbly wobbly. If the thousand year reign is yet to come, how can it say in Revelation 19 that the wedding feast of the Lamb has already happened? Because that's the point of victory. How can it be that in Revelation 11.15 it says this, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. One of my favourite verses in Revelation. The kingdoms of man have now become the kingdom of our God. As a kingdom-focused church, learn that verse. But that's in chapter 11. So how is it that in chapter 19, the beast and his prophet are doing stuff and then they're thrown into a lake, and then in chapter 20, they're doing stuff and they're thrown into a lake? Eh? If you read Revelation and try and say, this has to come before that, has to come before that, and you come with your understanding saying, well, time is linear because that's how I experience it, you are failing to understand that John is describing an experience he had with the everlasting God, the one who was and is and is to come. Yes? So if for me, if you read Revelation and say it's all about what's going to happen in the future, you're missing out. Because Revelation itself doesn't fit in to your neat little linear time thinking. I knew this was going to be hard work for you. Keep going with me and you can ask me lots of questions at the end. If Revelation is an experience where John sees things from different angles and perspectives as he's told to look this way, look that way, come here, hear this, see that. And he's seeing lots of things that are all happening with each other. Then all the challenges that I've just outlined for you get resolved because it's not a linear time map. It's not this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It's this happened. Oh, my word, look at all that happened. Wow. Everybody with me? Okay, good. Now let's get even more controversial then. <laughs> I, de- I deserve I that. Right. So now um, get in groups and I just want you to read Revelation 21 to 6. Revelation 21 to 6. So get so you can see a bit of the Bible together. Do do it with other people. So don't just read it to yourself. Read it with other people. We're not. I'm not going to ask you lots of questions about it. I just want you to have read it. Get a chance to ask if there's a word in it you don't understand. Somebody just describe what happens. <laughs> there's a little challenge. Come on, tell us what does it say. Come on. Okay, it does. Yeah. Go on. What happens? Possibly. Keep going. What else happens? What does the angel do? Chains him and then throws him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. 
Say that again. Yeah. 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 It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why is it important that they're beheaded? Because they, if they're beheaded, they haven't got the mark of the beast on their head. They've refused because they've worshipped. That's, again, separate sermon I don't want to get into. Okay. Satan is bound and restricted. Yes? Yeah? He is disarmed. Jesus said something about the evil one being disarmed, didn't he? What did he say? Anybody know? Anybody think? Not you. You always know the answer. <sighs> I keep saying this every time. Can anybody think of anything that Jesus said about somebody who is strong being bound up? Anybody think? The strong man. Matthew twelve twenty nine to thirty says this: For who is powerful enough to, excuse me, enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Tie him up and bind up come from the same root word in Greek. Jesus says only somebody stronger can bind up the strong man. He's the one who is stronger. That's the point he's making. They're saying, you cast out demons by the devil. And Jesus says, what sort of house can stand if, if one devil casts out another devil? I cast out devils because I'm stronger. Yes? And then he goes on and says something even more important. 1228, well, not more important, but really important. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived upon you. Whose revelation is it? Is that you? Be you. <laughs> Whose revelation is it? I know. She's so, in, she's so engrossed with the excellence of the preaching. Remember what I said to you? It is not the revelation of John. It is the revelation of Jesus given to John. Jesus is describing what he knows he's already done and is doing. The devil has been bound up and is constricted. The kingdom has come, Jesus says. If I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom has come upon you. When you hear people say the now and the not yet of the kingdom, they are misunderstanding. Jesus said the kingdom has come upon you. Will it keep coming? Yes. But God's amazing. He's outside time and he's outside dimensions. He can give you everything and still give you more. Death has lost its sting. Because of what Jesus has done. We are more than conquerors because of what Jesus has done. And yet Revelation says, basically, there's all sorts of hard stuff going on. What's meant to happen? 
because it's not linear. These things are going on at the same time. Jesus is able to say, the strong man has been bound up, but he will keep on being bound up. And Revelation is giving you another way of understanding that. What Jesus has done, how he has brought the kingdom. But is the kingdom still coming? Yes. Will it still keep coming? Yes. For me, you have to get a Jewish understanding of what's called the eschaton, the end times. And this used to be a big topic in church, which is why I'm nervous about talking about it. There was a whole load of discussion about what happens in the end times and when are the end times and will we be around for the end times and will we go after the end times and blah, 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 blah. All focusing on the, particularly actually this chapter and forgetting to look at the bigger picture that I think helps you understand it in a very different way and actually in a very helpful way. Because a Jewish understanding of the end times, which is what Revelation is all about, is that the end times would be marked by the arrival of the Messiah. Messiah would come. The Messiah would cast out demons and he would overcome death. And that marked the start of the last days. And the last days carried on from that point onwards until the last days of the last days. Yes? And then the last days of the last days have a last day. Yes? So we've gone from this to this to this. The last days start in Jewish understanding when Messiah comes. When death is overcome... And when demons are put in their place, has that happened? Yes. yes. Jesus comes and says, if I cast out demons by the power of the Spirit, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The last days start when Messiah comes. Do they carry on and then have last days? Yes. And do the last days have a last day? Yes. And the last day is the day of judgment, after which the kingdom is here in all its power and glory and presence and never goes away again. And that happens here. But that's another sermon. Just as a little taster, if you think you die and go floating up on a cloud playing a harp, you need to read your Bible. Because that is not the picture that's in Scripture. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had gone. And I saw a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. And a voice says, the dwelling place of God will now be with his people. But I don't want to get too much into that. When the Messiah arrived, resurrection was made real and demons were put in their place. The last days have started. We live in the midst of the battle. That the last days that Revelation explains and expands upon. The devil has been defeated by the power of the cross, but the impacts of that victory have to carry on being applied. 
The last days will have a last day where the battle will get fiercer. Well, what does Revelation 20 say? That he gets released for a short time. Is that now or is it in the future? I don't know. But I know when I read Revelation, actually I can find lots of relevance now. And if I'd read it 800 years ago, I would have found lots of relevance. And if I'd read it 300 years before that, I would have found lots of relevance. And if I read it in 500 years' time, I will still find lots of relevance to my time. Because it's prophecy. And prophecy is foretelling and foretelling. If you want to look at this bit, and maybe you do, and that's fine, I don't agree with you. But if you want to look at this bit and put it only into the future then what are you doing now? There's no point, because at some point in the future, there will be a thousand-year reign, and you may or may not get to be part of that. But there's nothing you can do about it, because it's in the future. If the future is now, and now is in the future, wibbly-wobbly, then actually, I'm part of that battle. I'm called to take what has been started by the Messiah at the start of the last days and live it out where I am, wherever I am, with whatever I'm doing. And for me, that's the only way I can understand what I'm called to. If I make Revelation a film strip and say, this has got to happen and that's got to happen, I'm left with all sorts of questions. And if I focus on this passage and say, well, that's about sometime in the future... And don't actually see that it's relevant and is already being described and describing what we go through. Then what are you here for? When we when we look at Revelation and say, how does it apply to us? How does it help me understand my world so that I can do what Revelation asks me to do and invites me to do? Be a worshipper all the time then suddenly the world makes more sense. If I shove it all into the future, I'm ignoring what should be power now. Because Jesus has defeated the powers of evil. He is defeating the powers of evil. And he will keep on defeating the powers of evil through you. Yes? I was aware that this could be sort of so theoretical that you'd all go away with your brain, your brains blown. And I did say when we do some stuff in Revelation, I am going to push you quite hard. But for me, suddenly it comes to life. So I can see that are there powers of darkness revealed in things like the media? Yeah, 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 they are. But has is Jesus already victorious? Yes, he is. Will he keep on being victorious? Yes, he will. Will the last days have a last day? Yes, they will. Will there be a day of judgment when all is put right? Yes. But there's stuff now going on that I'm meant to be part of. That I can't just shove away to the future. I see Revelation as a book that helps me understand that I'm drawn into a battle. That actually there's an adventure to be had with God. And I don't want to sit out of it. And I don't want to step back. Is that going to mean I'm going to have to listen to bits like we listened to in the middle of the song when Bill Johnson was speaking with a break in his voice and said, that son died. 
Does Jesus' blood cover that? Yes. Even though it happened 2,000 years ago? Yes, because God isn't bound by time. Yes. The now and the not yet of the kingdom is meant to be an invitation to more, not a limitation on what God can do now. This is meant to make us look and say, this explains what I see, but it also gives me hope for the future because it's foretelling and foretelling, because it's prophecy. But if you spend all your time working out which horn is on which beast relative to which shoe of which horse, you never get this. Step back. God is outside time. He's trying to get us to understand something, or at least get a handle on something, that is to do with eternity. And that's always going to be hard work. But actually, it's good news. The devil has been defeated. He is being defeated, and he will be completely defeated. The last days, for me, are now, and have been ever since Jesus arrived. And will keep on happening until Jesus returns. That's what Revelation describes. But I can't shove it all into the future. Now, you may be greatly disturbed by what I've preached this morning. It may be completely different from what you've been taught before. Here's a mind-blowing idea. They might both be right. And they might both be a bit wrong. Because we're trying to use human words to describe things to do with the mystery of God. And we can't get it all right. But I do think we can be inspired to make you think. And let you have a bigger, richer, deeper view of God. So that you can do what is definitely the overriding theme for me of Revelation. That I want to come back to again. Worship. You're meant to be be drawn in into an encounter with the living one. The God who was and is and is to come. And that should always result in worship. So if you violently disagree with me and you want to have a talk about pre-post and amillennialism, which is what I've just described, but I've tried not to use any of those words because they get too contentious, I'm very happy to do that. But I might not agree with you. And you might not agree with me. And that's all right. As long as we are both serving and following and worshipping him. So, I'm aware that I hopefully have poked the bear a little bit and stirred up some questions and made you think. If you want to talk to me about that or ask me questions or say, what if I will try and do that with you? But I won't get drawn into what colour was this on that. That's not what I want to do in Revelation. I do want to stir us to think and encounter so that we worship So, Lord, our simple prayer is that we would be lost in wonder at the vastness and greatness of you. That you are bigger and better and more wonderful than we can think, dream or imagine. And that what you have done, what you are doing and what you will do are all wonderful. Lord, encounter us again and may we be lost in wonder at you.
call us to be a people who bear the kingdom and who are worshippers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.